going to continue our talk. Uh, this, as we've kind of talked and planned this, this week, or this idea of faith by works is actually going to kind of carry over into three weeks. Because it was just too much to, to cram into one or even to cram into two. And so this week we're going to kind of continue this talk that we started last week about uh, our faith and what that looks like active and lived out and, and overflowing out of us. And uh, next week we'll finish up with that before we go into chapter three, uh, which I'm looking forward to also. But, uh, but uh, last week we talked about how our saving faith uh, works for me and with me and that it works unto salvation. It justifies me before God, a holy God, my faith does. But then it also justifies me or validates me before men. It goes before me and God uses that to show people that, that this is a child of God based off of what we see reflecting from who he is and, and what he or she has done. And so uh, we continue that conversation this morning as we, we continue from this perspective that determines our progress understanding of victory in Jesus Christ and what that means for us. And so our sermon in a sentence this morning is this, if we can take away something, it's this idea that our faith revealed reveals who we are and who we are for. That our faith revealed, that our faith seen reveals who we are, our identification, not only within ourselves, but it, rec- it also reveals who we are for. The very God that we worship and the God that we believe in is that, that, that our work, the work I do, it speaks and it proclaims a truth about myself and about God. And so as we get into this this morning, I want us to pick up in James chapter 2, starting in verse 18, and we're going to read down to verse 20 as we continue this morning. So read with me in verse 18. He says this, James says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now remember our whole, you know, we, we rest in, like I talked about, the Reformation was all this idea about fighting for by grace alone, by faith alone. And so this whole study that, that we've had to kind of continuously communicate because we want to grab a hold of works. We want to grab a hold of these things that make us right before God because that's how culture works, right? We do good things and people give us things or, or we work certain hours and we get paid for those certain hours or we do those things. So that's how we believe systems work. But the system of God does not work that way. It does not work based off of our work. The hours I put into God, God doesn't merit more grace on me because of those hours that I put in for him. And so we have to understand that when James is telling us this, he's not telling us this, that, that our works lead us to saving faith and then saving faith continues on through our works. No, he tells us that our faith leads us to works that comes from our faith and that, that this whole argument is not about our justification before God, but it's about our validation before man how people see the people of God and how the people of God, not only how they see the people of God, but how they're affected by the people of God. And I think that's a much better way to say it and see it is that it's not about how they see us because it's not about the show. Remember, Jesus preached against those men, those ladies and men who would stand at the street corners and proclaim and say things that they were just trying to make people think certain things about them, that, oh, they're so holy, oh, they're so religious. And he would tell them, he said, you, 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 you speak of me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. 
Like, you're, you're wicked. You're hypocrites. And because he knew that they, on the outside, like the Bible tells us, they were like, uh, they, were, they were clean and, and pristine, but on the end, and like whitewashed tombs, the Bible said, but on the inside, he said it was like dead man's bones. He said because their faith was dead faith. Even though they were doing stuff, it was coming from this place that was not resting in and truly believing in and confident in the saving work of Jesus on the cross. They were trying to earn something. They were trying to work for the show. And so these two things this morning that I want us to see as we kind of move through this and we wrap up kind of this portion and begin to move into the end of this chapter next week. But the two things I want us to see, the first thing I want us to see is that you can't see faith. You can't see faith. And I want to explain that because I believe that's what James is telling us here. You can't see faith because what he's telling us, he's bringing us into this idea of our works, encouraging us to be stepping out and moving because he says works are a visible representation of our faith. Okay, you can't see faith. You can't see it. It's not a, it's not a tangible thing. You know, and in this conversation, we see it, and some people believe that this conversation that he's having when he's talking about you show me your faith and you show me your works and all this stuff, that it's kind of this internal struggle that James is having to fight through within himself to kind of see who he is and what he's doing and what he's representing in his own life. But we see this, that James is bringing, he's revealing this illogical nature of a mindset where faith works separate from works, where he's saying, like, you, you want to say, you know, almost like a question, can you show me your faith from Apart from works, it's almost that idea that if we can see that in the text in verse 18, when he says that, he says, I will show you. Uh, he says, show me your faith apart from your works. It's almost like a question, like, can you show me faith apart from works? When in reality, we know that faith is, an, is not an animate object. It is not a tangible thing, that it's, it's, it's an, an abstract, immaterial process of thought or motivation. And so it can only be represented through a tangible, animate object revealing that. And so that's what he's bringing us to this mindset of, of under, helping us understand that our faith and our works, they coexist. They have to go together. There has to be an outflowing of faith from works to be visible or to be manifested or to be effective at all. You know, uh, I, I, just thinking about this, the idea, uh, you know, that, that a yard that has been mowed looks like a mowed yard, Right. But you can't see the intention to mow a yard. You know, uh, you, like for me, uh, I, I hate to mow my yard, um, but I always have a lot of intentions to mow my yard. But you can never see the intentions, right? Now, you, what you can do is you can see me get up. And, and, and my wife knows my routine. She was telling me this week how routine I am and very specific things. I do things a certain way and it has to be this way or it throws me off. And so I get up. I put on uh, the only time of my life I'll ever wear a tank top or, uh, or a sleeveless shirt or something. I'll put on my tank top. I'll put on my old dirty shorts. I'll put on my hat. I'll put on my headphones. I'll start walking out. Like you can see those things. Even though the yard isn't mowed yet, you can see these actions that are leading to the work that is meant to be done. And so, you know, the, those things are works. Those things are things being done in, in kind of communion with the intention on a mowed yard. You can't see the intentions, but you can see the outworkings of those intentions. You can see the outworkings of those desires. And you know, I mean, just even as simple as, as a light bulb, you can't see the intention to change a light bulb, but you see that the light is out, but you can't. And, and I could think all day long, man, I'm going to change that light bulb. I'm going to change that light bulb, but you can't see my intentions. What you see is the work that is done when the light bulb is changed, right? That's why Jesus would tell us in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before man. 
this action, this active way that we put ourselves out there before people with our works from a place of faith so that people can see. He says, so that they may see in Matthew 5, 16, so they may see your good works. And because they see your good works, because they see the things that we do as Christians, because they are influenced and affected by the things that we do as Christians. What has he said in the rest of that verse? You may know it. It says, and they give glory to your father who is in heaven. That our good works, the things that we do from a saving faith in Jesus Christ can actually be the conduit that brings other people to give glory to this God that we say we believe in and that we love and that we worship. You know, when we're talking about the works, we're not talking about it as the grounds on which we are justified, but about the demonstration of our faith that it is pouring out of us. You can't see faith without works, but you can demonstrate the reality of faith by works. You can demonstrate that reality by how we live. It's the only possible evidence of true faith is works. I mean, it's, it's logical. It, it makes sense, right? That the only way that, that, work, that faith can be seen is by how it is done. And that's what he's calling us to. And, and man, and we, we live in such a culture today that, that we take the whole grace by faith alone idea, uh, even in a very Christian culture that we live in. I say Christian uh, in this way, but uh, in a Christian culture that we live in, kind of in the Bible Belt in the South, where, uh, you know, a lot of it is, is assumed. You know, in a lot of the people of James's culture, it was assumed. You know, they were born into Christian families, or they were born into families, uh, maybe a lot of you were born into families who, with people who maybe went to church, or went to church occasionally, or talked about church things, or, or just associated themselves with Christianity because that's the culture that we lived in, uh, but maybe they never went to church, maybe they never did anything, maybe they never acted any way. I mean, the constant thing is, you know, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, you don't have to do this to be a Christian, you don't have to do this to be a Christian, you don't have to sing to be a Christian, you don't have to pray to be a Christian, you don't, I mean... Yeah, I mean, in reality, none of those things make you per se a Christian, but then in a lot of ways, they do make you who you are, right? They reveal what you're about. So why would we not do those things? Why would we not gather into the fellowship of God's people? Yeah, me being at church every Sunday does not make me a better Christian or even make me a Christian, but it reveals that I'm a Christian, right? Because I enjoy the fellowship of God. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. He says, if you love the brothers of the faith, that that reveals that you have the love of God in you. So you love to be around God's people and you love to do things for God. You know, and I, and I love in 2 Peter, a really great set of verses. In 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 10, you can write these down and maybe read this on your own later. And I'll just kind of read it to you. But I think it's just a really awesome picture of where faith begins and where faith goes and where they even intersect at. I think it's really cool. Uh, in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, he says this. He's talking about faith, uh, works coming from our faith. He says, for this reason, make every effort, make every effort, that action again, those action words, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Okay. So supplementing your faith, kind of an internal thing. And then virtue even being kind of an internal thing, kind of a mindset and a thought process virtue. And he says, your supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge, kind of internal. And then your knowledge with self-control. And so all of these things, virtue and not faith, virtue, knowledge, these have been these kind of internal things. And then he comes to this point where he says with self-control. And this is where we begin to see the internal, the external kind of overlap because 
self-control is not only an internal thing, but self-control is also an external thing. And so he says these things, these faith and virtue and knowledge that we grow in in the Lord Jesus, the outworking of our faith in our life leads us to this point where not only where we have internal self-control, but then we have external self-control where it affects the way that we act in the world around us. And then he continues with external things. He says from knowledge internal to self-control where we have external and internal overlap. And he says, and self-control with steadfastness, with endurance, with the things that we do and we think in our life. And then he continues on, not only with steadfastness, but with godliness with godliness in the way that we're acting out in the way that we're living. Uh, you know, it could also, you could also say holiness, you know, godliness and holiness being this idea of, of how we're interacting and doing for people and, and, and worshiping God. And he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And this is important in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if we are growing in this way, the outworking of our faith that obviously becomes internal, like I talked about earlier, getting to go mow, there's this process that is happening. And, and you know what? We all, I understand and we all understand that all of our faiths are, are at a different pros, place in the process. And it may look differently and it may look more external than others. Maybe your faith is more on that still that face the virtue to knowledge level. And maybe you're kind of dabbling in the self-control. Or maybe some of you are on the other end where you're in the self-control. You're in the godliness. You're into to, to endurance and steadfastness. And, and you're into that area. And then the last one being brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. And, you know, and so maybe some of you are on that end. And I believe this is kind of the timeline of faith outworked, that it starts internal and then it moves to out external. And, and we're on different places in that. And that's okay. But the most important thing is that we are in process and that we are in faith in Jesus Christ so that that process is going. And that he says here, he says that if you're growing and going in this way, that it keeps you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ, that you have the knowledge. So there is a way that we can have the knowledge and we'll see this as we move on. You can have the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord, but be ineffective and unfruitful. He says that if we're growing and we're moving in this process, that's how we avoid being un, ineffective and unfruitful, even with the knowledge of who Jesus is. For whoever lacks these qualities, continuing on, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted. I love that he says that, nearsighted, that all you see is right here in front of you. We're not looking to anyone else. We're not looking around us. We're not looking to our future. We're not looking to how we can be effective in any other way. He says that if you lack these qualities, you're so nearsighted that he is blind. Having forgotten this, you know, and he's talking to believers here. Having forgotten this, that he was cleansed from his former sin. Isn't that awesome that the motivation for everything that we do in this process comes first from this place where we understand that we were cleansed from our former sins because of what Jesus did for us? He's telling us that the outworking of everything that we do begins with the gospel. Not by my efforts, not by my inerrant goodness, not by my abilities. He says that it begins by understanding that my sins were washed clean at the, by the blood of Jesus on the cross when he died for me on Calvary. That if we understand that and believe that and rest in that, that it begins that movement. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. That as Christians, to be diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. 
making a practice. You know, and there's other points in the Bible where it says not to make a practice of sin. And so here he's telling us, make a practice of these qualities of faith to virtue, virtue to knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control to endurance or steadfastness and steadfastness to godliness and with godliness to brotherly affection with love. You know, he's calling us to this action, this process, almost like this, this, this continuous thing that keeps moving and flowing within us. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, faith is the fountain, the foundation and the foster of obedience, the foster of obedience. I'll say that again. Faith is the fountain, the foundation and the fosterer of obedience. Our faith should be leading us, moving us, motivating us through this path of obedience where we are stepping in line with his will, where our will and his will are lined up and they're intermingled and they're walking together. Faith, saving faith involves something more, church, something seen, something recognized, a changed life, a changed life. You know, and um, this, the last couple of weeks coming across something really cool and just interesting and just kind of following it and, um, you know, seeing this, this man, and I'll kind of get into this. I was talking to worship team about this earlier, but uh, seeing this man recently, this man with success, this man with money, this man with women, this man with pride and prestige, you know, th this guy that seemingly had it all, seemingly had everything he could ever need, you know, even so, so recently in the last few years to put out an album where he would so boldly call himself in one of these songs, a God, that he said, I am a God, that he would call himself Jesus, almost like this idea, like this guy, like I, I'm, I'm about it. Even talking about himself in the third person in interviews, like this particular man was just very high on himself and very uh, just pushing against uh, the God because he was the God in his own eyes. And this guy uh, recently, and the, the guy I'm talking about, if you don't already know, his name is Kanye West. And so immediately you hear that name and probably a lot of negative things come to your mind. But the cool thing about this situation uh, is that recently Kanye would have become a believer. So he says, and so we're in, and, and he uh, recently um, put out a Christian album, a gospel album, you know, and, and really quick before I continue on in the conversation, I know immediately when I say that name, uh, and, and I'll admit even in my own self, when I heard uh, the, that statement about him, immediately got negative, right? Me like, nah, that's just a show. Ah, he's just doing that to just make money. Or, oh, he's just doing this or that. He's, he's, he's crazy. I've seen him do jump in front of people at the, uh, the uh, Grammys and start saying all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, he, he's nuts. But can, can, I make a, can we stop for a second? And can we remember that the gospel is all about radical change in people's lives who have drastically pushed against God? I mean, can we remember Saul who went door to door, kicking in doors, dragging Christians out, even standing by while one was stoned to death? Isn't that really what the gospel is about? So before we judge or are super critical of somebody, can we first be praying for that individual? That in their, in their stage and everything that they've got, Lord, keep this man safe, keep his mind clear, help him continue to do the work that he says that you've called him to do. I mean, he stay, even stands up, and, I, and this message isn't all about him, but I was telling the worship team earlier, I was like, it's a crazy world that we live in when I can use Kanye West as a, an example of faith and works revealed, right? I mean, that's just the word, that, but that's awesome. 
that's, that's where we're at in this current, in this situation. And, and what's cool, you know, is that he's, he's showing his faith through bearing fruit. He's doing things, these Sunday services, he's putting out an album. He's, he's standing on a major stage. He was on Jimmy Kimmel a few nights ago and he stands up in front of all these thousands of people and he says, man, Jesus saved me. I'm, I'm a believer. I'm doing things. Uh, I'm doing the work that God, I feel like God's called me to. And you can tell he was just so pleasant, so peaceful. And, and you know, people like that, the interviewers, it makes them very uncomfortable. And you can tell he's uncomfortable. And the guy, Jimmy Kimmel asked him, he said, well, are you a, are you like a Christian artist now? And Kanye kind of stood there for a second. He's like, bro, I'm a Christian everything. I'm a, I mean, it just isn't that awesome. Like he's just so confident and just such a perfect answer for that. You know, he's not he's not limiting his Christian faith to music or to this or his family. I mean, he's up there telling people about Jesus and and just he has such a stage. And and so it's this faith lived out through these works and through these things, you know, because where it comes to is this point. Or for Kanye West, Kanye is saying it's not all about Kanye, but it's about uh, living in a manner that's all about God. That it's all about him and understanding whether it's through his family or through his own needs. He understands that he needs something bigger than himself. Thankful Kanye has a pastor that I was watching one of his services. And this dude was preaching out of Isaiah. Talking about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Like this isn't some uh, prosperity gospel preacher that he's hanging out with. And I thank God for that. That this is a Bible believing preacher that Kanye calls his pastor. And, and, And it's stuff like that. That is the outworking, the true gospel. That is the outworking of true works of faith. And that's what God is inviting us into because he's given us so much. Like we talked about, he saved us. He's cleansed us. Uh, Luke 12, uh, 48, he says, but to the one who did not know and, to the, uh, and did what deserved a beating will receive the light beating. Everyone to whom much has been given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And so Kanye understands that. Christians around the world that are just putting their, their lives on the line, they understand that, that God has given us so much. He's given us so much to do, but he's he's done so much for us. And in light of that, we have so much ahead of us that where the world around us doesn't benefit and the kingdom of God is not expanded or enjoyed is in the lives of Christians carnal Christians, I've seen called before practical atheists that say that we believe in God, but we're not living our lives that communicate that truth and result in saving faith spilling out into the people around us. The world around us does not benefit and the kingdom of God does not benefit by a Christian that hides from the world around them. Nobody benefits from that. And you, we as individuals don't benefit when we suppress ourselves out of fear or whatever it might be. You know, being a Christian involves trusting Christ and living for Christ and you receive life. This is what's important. You receive life, then you reveal the life. You receive the life, then we reveal the life in the way that we live and the way that we act and the way that we work. James tells us we don't boast about what works we have. We leave our works to speak for itself. That's the whole thing, right? Is that we do these things that speak way beyond where our words go. That I shouldn't have to run around and convince people by the things that I say that I'm a Christian. I hope that they can assume that and see that by the way that I live my life. Now, does that mean we not speak the gospel or speak about our faith? Absolutely not. That's part of our work. But our life should be lived in a way that is seen. And the last thing this morning as we finish up is this, is that there is a, the, there's a fruit of belief. There's fruit of belief. In verse 19, he says this. He says that you believe that God is one, you do well. 
You do well. The fruit of belief is more. He's talking about this intellectual belief in God. And the fruit of belief is more than an intellectual knowledge of who God is and what God is capable of. You know, orthodox doctrine or sound, solid doctrine by itself is no proof of saving faith. You could say you believe all the right things all day long, but that does not make you saved. You can believe in who God is and understand that what God does. But to say I believe in God, strictly say I believe in God, does not distinguish us unless we give ourselves up to God as, to the, gospel, as the gospel directs us and love him and delight in him and serve him. Or another way that I thought about is that we experience him, we enjoy him, and we express him. We experience him, enjoy him, and express him in the way that we live. Because verse 19 continues on, and then he tells us, tells us this is the fruit of just intellectual knowledge about who God is. And not only intellectual knowledge, but we also see an emotional response to who God is. In this verse, in verse 19, he says, he says that, uh, he says, you believe that God is one and you do well, even... Even the demons believe intellectual and shudder emotional. He says even the demons know and understand who God is intellectually in their minds. They can verbalize and communicate it. There's other parts in the Bible where demons actually call Jesus the son of God. They even acknowledge his deity. But simply having an intellectual knowledge of God and in in even a, an emotional response to him makes us no different than the, the, than the demons that it says here. But you know what it does even more so? It does nothing for us to have a knowledge of God. You know what it does? And not have, a, have an understanding, a, a true faith, dependence, surrender to, to Jesus, Jesus Christ and his work for us. This knowledge of God by itself, it creates critics, not converts. It creates critics. It creates people like the demons. The reason that they're different is because they were living in rebellion to God. They were afraid of God and his punishment until they pushed away from God. And so just an intellectual knowledge about who God is. And that's a lot of times what we just get in church. We just hear information about who God is. You know what that does to me? All that does is it reminds me that I'm a sinful sinner and that God has no place for me. And I'm talking about a message separate from the gospel of what Jesus is trying to do for us. But while we understand is the, the, the scariness, the, and it pushes us to rebellion. We push God away. I, I don't want that because what is God? What is God on an intellectual level? God on an intellectual level is nothing but a moral mirror. In front of us, all it does is show us where we're wrong. Because a lot of times when we come into church, maybe that's all we hear. All we hear is what I'm doing wrong. All I hear is where I'm falling short, where I'm failing, where I'm sinning, this, this and that and that. And if we're coming in and, and that's all we're hearing, then we're being disconnected from the true work of Jesus and what he's trying to reveal to us in the work of the gospel in our life. That his intentions for us, yes, is to, is to be fearful. But when the Bible talks about a, a fear that leads to wisdom and knowledge, it's talking about this respect, this awe, this understanding of that God is big. God is holy. God is, is, is outside of time. God is outside of space. God is sovereign. God is ruler. God is, 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 is king of kings, Lord of lords. Like just this understanding and this respect of who God is. But anything beyond that, we're resting in a faith that is strictly intellectual or emotional. It will lead us to be critics. And if not critics, eventually at, the, at one moment, it will eventually lead us to critics, to be critics or rebels of the faith. Because like I said, all it's going to show us and remind us is that we are not the center of the universe. But when we have an understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, God takes us 
And it's not that he makes us the center of the universe, but he brings us into his family and nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how my prestige, it doesn't matter how good I am. It doesn't matter how, how much I accomplish uh, in, in my work life or, or how perfect I am. I can have the confidence knowing in the steps of the faith working out of me that I am in the family of God. Even if I'm not the center of the universe, even if I'm not the, per, the, the, the intention uh, of all of this, you know, the, uh, the, Confession of faith tells us, you know, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to, uh, is to in, uh, praise God, glorify God forever and enjoy him. You know, and that's what we're here for. You know, even the enemy intellectually acknowledges God, but resists him, keeps him at arm's distance, works against him with the way that it lives. You know, the, the demons, they respected him, they understood him, but they worked against him. They rebelled against him. Faith like the demons saves no one. It goes beyond cognitive knowledge. Saving faith goes beyond what we know, what we understand, but it goes to a personal trust and submission. Laying our yes down before the Lord, accepting what he's done, accepting who I am before him, and allowing that to translate into works of obedience in my life. Stepping in line with my family, stepping in line with my spouse, stepping in line with his will for my life in my workspace. And so why is this important as we finish up? Why is this important? Because I think the important thing is this, is that God has reserved a life to live for us that has purpose, that has experience, that has joy, and most of all, it has salvation from the foundation of faith on Christ's side of the grave. On Christ's side of the grave, that there's no death ahead of us uh, no eternal death ahead of us, that there's nothing to weigh us down, but he tells us that ahead of us is life, a life to be lived. You know, there's, a, there's in, in my current job, I've gotten the opportunity to train uh, several different types of people. Um, and our, our orientation process is kind of lengthy because they want people to really understand and get a vibe. And so when we orient people, they just basically ride around with us and we kind of give them some work to do this or that. Well, uh, there's always two different types of people in an orientation process. There's first the person that is just ready to go. They get a little bit of knowledge to get going, and, and they're just ready to go, understanding that the more I do, the more I'll learn. Once I get out and once I'm working, once I'm doing, I'm going to learn more. I'm going to obtain more. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to fail some, but I'm going to succeed some, and that's how I'm going to figure it out. But then there's the other person, and this person rarely is successful, and this person rarely lasts. There's the person that tells me, hey, I'm going to ride this out. I'm going to ride out this orientation process as long as I can. I'm just going to ride with you. Is it okay if I just ride with you as long as I can, just do all your work for you? I mean, part of me wants to be like, yeah, that'd be awesome. You just ride with me and do all this. I'll just drive and listen to music. But like I said, that person rarely makes it because they never allow themselves to step into the job enough to experience it, to enjoy the benefits of when it succeeds, to fight through when it fails. And so for us as Christians, I feel like there's a lot of us, even this morning, that are resting in the orientation phase, that we're afraid to step out, that we're enjoying just riding along, saying that we're a part of this group of Christians or this group, we associate with them, but we're not really experiencing the joy of when it works out. We're not really experiencing the teaching and the knowledge that we gain from when we fail. 
We're not really experiencing the camaraderie of what it looks like when this group unifies together and accomplishes something. When we worship God, when we step out into circles and we help people, love people, serve people. You know, and that's what, that's what James is calling Christians out of. Stop writing it out. Stop living in the orientation phase of your Christian faith. Begin to work. And he was, you know what? There's probably a lot of things. In my job, it took me months, almost a year, to really get a feel of what I was doing. And I tell people that when I'm training. It's going to take you a while. You're going to fail a little bit. You're going to slip up. You're going to make mistakes. God tells us the same thing in our Christian faith. And don't be afraid to step out. You know what? You're probably going to make some mistakes. Guarantee it. You're probably going to say some things wrong. You're probably going to miscommunicate some truth that maybe someone else has to correct you on. You're maybe not going to do something perfectly. You're maybe going to fail. You're maybe not always going to be the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect dad, the perfect mom, the perfect employee. You're probably not going to be perfect at any of those things, but you're being perfected in the midst of it when you step out in your faith, in obedience, stepping out of the orientation phase and begin to experience that life. Begin to experience because what's so awesome in Hebrews 11, uh, the writer of Hebrews just lays out these people of faith that have just done so much. And next week, we're going to talk specifically about Abraham and Rahab. But specifically this morning, just seeing this text just encouraged me because what's happening, because we're afraid to move out of the orientation phase, we're missing out on experiencing so much of the victory that we're working from because we're not walking in anything. We're not experiencing or entering into the work that he called us to because this is what I believe we're missing out on. This is what he tells us from the text when he talks about these people. He talks about Samson and David and Samuel and the prophets. And he says this about them in verse 33 of Hebrews chapter 11. I think we, we have that on the screen just so we can walk through it together. Hebrews eleven thirty three. it says this. It says, for who through faith, through faith, a working, living, active faith. It says this, it says that they conquered kingdoms, that they enforced justice that they obtained promises, that they stopped the mouths of lions, that they quenched the power of fire, that they escaped the edge of the sword, that they were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. What are we missing out on in our faith when we're not willing, we're not allowing ourselves because of fear or inadequacy, whatever it might be, we're not allowing ourselves to step into faith. We're missing out on experiencing the victories of a battle that the Lord has won in our life from weakness to strength, that addiction that we have, that, that thought process that we have, that depression, that anxiety, that struggle, that whatever it might be in our lives. He's telling us we're missing seeing that defeated when we hold ourselves back in fear and we live in the orientation phase of our life. He says that, that even justice enforced, I love that, to see people treated equally and rightly will come from a Christian stepping out in faith and not being afraid to walk and live as a believer of Jesus in front of the world around him, obtained promises, resting in the goodness, stop the mouths of lions, the enemy trying to devour us, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword and made strong out of weakness and mighty in war. Life is war, church. Whether you want it to be or not, every step we take in life is a battle. Every decision we make is a battle. Every moment in our life is a battle. Unless we're stepping into it with faith, from saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll never experience the victories that God says in his promises that he gives to us. He gives us those victories. He wants to see us enjoy and experience those things.
The reason this is important is because he has given us a whole life of living. He's given us a whole life of living that, he, that they had because of, that these people had because of and through the mode of their faith in God who was able. God was able to use them. God was able to work through them. I love this saying, but we have to understand this, that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to give us life to live, to be working and active in our families, in our community, because the world around us desperately, desperately needs it. They need us. They need Christians. You know, me and uh, my son were having a conversation this week about a, an individual that told him, like, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any point to Christians. There's no point to religion. There's no point in it. What good does it do anyone? And it's sad that we live in a world that anyone would ever be able to say that. We should be good. We should be needed. We should be influential. We should be those people that the employers say, I love to hire Christians because they're the best employees. I love to be around Christians because they're the best people to be around. Not perfect, not perfect, but faithfully stepping into obedience into the will of God in our life. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And there is a life that he's laid before us to live. He's inviting us into that. No matter where you've been or what you've done. And that new life in Ephesians 2.10 that it says, that new life he tells us is from being his workmanship, the intention of his work for good works. For good works. He's created us as his workmanship, his, his project to do good things. He's called us to that. So what do we do? How do we respond this morning? I want to just give you this verse. Pray over us and then we'll be done. As David would say in all his faults and all his failures, I love this prayer that David makes to the Lord. And I pray that this would be our prayer as we, we, we want to and I hope desire to step into faithful living. Active faith that is living and active and experiential. But David says this. Most of us would say we're better than David based off of the sin he committed. And this is what David asked for. And I pray that this would be what you asked for this morning too. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Know me. Try me. Try me and know my thoughts. God, test me. Push me. God, know my thoughts. My thoughts are wicked. My thoughts are messed up. God, I want you to know them so that you can help. And I know he knows them without me asking him to know him. But I want to be involved in that work. But then not also, not just know me, but try me, push me. Let that be your prayer to God. God, try me. Try me in my family to lead them spiritually. Try me in my workplace to lead them spiritually. Try me. And he says, and see if there is any grievous way in me. Don't be afraid for the Lord to show you the places where you fail. Don't be afraid for the Lord to show you the places where you fall short. Because anytime the Lord breaks us, his intention is to remake us into something bigger, into something better, into something stronger. Don't be afraid to pray for the Lord to show you where you fail. Because he'll only want to make it better. He'll only want to mold that into something marvelous. Let him do that in your life. And so not only see and communicate to me the grievous way in me, but then the last thing this morning, I pray this would be our prayer. Lead me. Lead me in the way of everlasting.
lead me. I pray that that would be your prayer this morning, that you would ask the Lord to search you, show you, try you, test you, reveal to you where you're weak and where you fall, and lead you this morning. I pray you would ask him to lead you, lead you in the way of everlasting, lead you in the way of his will and his goodness. Let's pray this morning. Bow your heads with me. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your word. Father, I just, uh, man, I pray, Lord, that, Lord, understanding that under your holiness and your goodness, God, we're all sinners who fall short. God, not a single one of us is perfect in that way. But God, you've invited us to a process of faith that works in us, works out of us, into our, 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 our families, into our circles, into our influences. Father God, I just want to ask you, God, let this be the prayer of the people here this morning. Individuals, God, that maybe, maybe they came in, then they could care less about you or about this. Maybe they're just here because they feel like it's what they're supposed to do or where they're supposed to be. Father God, I pray this morning that as you tell us, your word does not return void. God, I pray that there's an invitation going into that ear, into that heart this morning that says that you are inviting them to experience a living life, a life of faith, a life of obedience that is joyous, that is difficult at times, but is satisfying, that is influential, that is life-changing, that brings blessings and joy beyond anything that we will ever find in this world. Father God, so many times we, we know that we spend most of our life searching. God, I know there's people here this morning, maybe they're searching for more, searching for a purpose. God, searching for a place in this world. God, searching for just joy, desperately needing joy in their life, desperately needing just stability, desperately needing peace in difficult situations. God, I pray this morning that you would help them to understand that you have every desire to lean into our situations. But it begins with us reaching out and saying, search me, God. Know me. Try me. See what's in me and lead me. That your leading begins with us inviting you to see me. God, see me and reveal to me who I am without you. God, and then begin to lead me into what you have for me. Father God, I pray that we would be a people of faith, active faith, prayerful faith. That our community would be glad that we're here. Father, I pray that you would just bless us, be with us in everything we do. Challenge us, try us, test us in every way. Father, I thank you so much that you give sinful man the opportunity to do amazing things through your strength and your glory. Father, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.